Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We begin a new series today, and I think that um, what we're about to do over the next four weeks is going to be very beneficial to a lot of people in this room. I had people walking out in the first service just saying, thank you for that. That's, that really was good for me. Um, I think that there will be some defining moments for some of you in the next several weeks. It's my hope that over the next several weeks that you encounter a ridiculous amount of faith. Now let me talk about, uh, this is, we're calling this a ridiculous tale of faith. It's interesting the way words get changed in our culture. And, and it seems like every year they need to come out with a new dictionary because the kids get a hold of the words that we use for normal words. And we did this when we were kids too, right? Um, we took the word awesome. It was a Nissan commercial. It's the first time I ever remember seeing the word awesome and we have just taken that word and diluted it so much because we've used it, the kids got a hold of it, and we used it, and, and it, it took on a different meaning. But we do that with, with other words as well, like, you know, bad used to mean bad, and now kids use bad, and it means good. And, and so that's, sometimes you hear them say, well, that's bad, and you don't know whether that's bad, bad, or bad, good. And then you hear them, they took the word sick, oh, that's like, ooh, that's sick. That's the way we used to use it. You, 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 look, you look sick. Now, you know, you're likely to hear your kids look at their friend and go, dude, you look sick. And that's, he's not putting him down. That's a good thing. That means a good thing when he says he's sick. So now when they say you're sick, you don't, I don't know whether, it's, whether I'm sick sick or whether I'm cool sick. And then there's this word ridiculous that used to mean something bad or used to, might have meant really something outlandish. And that's the way we used it, but now they've gotten a hold of it. And now ridiculous means, oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. That's great. Like, you know, have you tried the cake? It's ridiculous. Um, You just never really know. So ridiculous faith, a tale of ridiculous faith, we mean that in a good way. So for the next four weeks, I want us to look at the life of a man named Elisha. There are two figures in the Bible that we are inclined to get confused, and we're going to look at them both today. There's Elisha, S-H-A, and there's Elijah, spelled with a J-A. And, and most of this is going to center around this person, Elisha, who had a ridiculous faith in a, in a good sort of way. I want you to look in your Bibles at 1 Kings chapter 19. If you bring your Bible to church with you, kudos to you. We love it when you do that. And if you've got your Bible, you might want to have a pen handy, because we're going to see a couple of things you may want to underline or take a note out to the side. We encourage that around here. If you don't have your Bible, fear not, we'll put everything on the wall for you so that you can see it. But we like it when you follow along in your Bible. Let's start by talking about this guy named Elijah. Sometimes we can get these two fellows mixed up, Elisha and Elijah. Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He was bold and he had a very daring kind of faith. Elisha wanted to be like Elijah. And Elisha was bold enough to ask Elijah for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And God, in his sovereign will, gave Elisha, who studied under Elijah, a double portion of this anointing. And and Elisha actually performed more recorded miracles than anybody else in the Bible other than Jesus. And so I want us to learn about this interesting guy. He, he, He was... He was interesting, but he was ordinary. He wasn't the, the, uh, the priestly type. He wasn't, if you've got that in your head, that's really not the right way to think about him. He wasn't a monk. He wasn't any kind of spiritual giant. 
Elisha was an ordinary guy. He was living at home with his parents. He was working on their farm. That's what he did every day. And then God called him to do something incredible. He lived during the 9th century B.C. at a time when Israel was divided. There was a great tension, and many people were worshiping the false god of Baal, and God raised up this ordinary guy and did something extraordinary through his life. We're going to pick the story up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, and it says this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Verse 20, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. So Elisha, uh, um, go back, Elijah replied, what have I done to you? Verse 21, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And that is the beginning of a ridiculous story. A lot of times, because our faith is small, we aren't willing to dream big. At the same time, we're not willing to dream big, oftentimes because we're not willing to start small. Now next week, we're going to look at a story where Elisha asks some people to dig some ditches in a valley long before there's any sign of water. God is going to, I hope, God is going to expand your faith so that you think big and at the same time, you're willing to start small. In the third week, we're going to look at a widow who was very desperate And if you're going through a difficult time right now and you're wondering, how am I going to make it? We're going to look at a woman in a couple of weeks. This poor lady's about to lose her two sons, and all she has to her name, really, is a little jar of oil. And she, all all she could see is what she didn't have, and God, through the prophet Elisha, is going to show her that she has everything she needs to do everything God wants her to do. That's one of the things that we've learned as a leadership around Cross Lane. We've we've gone, we every year... We, we hear great speakers, and we, uh, one of the guys that we listen to is a guy named Craig Rochelle, and we were at Catalyst one year, and he said, church leaders, you have everything, because church leaders want to make excuses as to why we aren't getting it done, right? We're always looking for excuses. If it's not going well, we want to blame something else, and Craig Rochelle in a, in a uh, session one time with us said, you have everything you need right now to, to reach the people for Christ that he expects you to reach right now. So it's all about looking around, finding what resources you have, and putting those to use. And then in the fourth week, we're going to see a crazy miracle. For those of you who were at one time more passionate about the things of God, and you were more on fire, maybe closer to God, but you you lost your spiritual edge, we're going to see a story, it's a miracle, where an axe head falls into a body of water, Elisha throws a stick in to that same body of water, and this axe head floats to the top, and We're going to see in that story some things that we can apply to our own life, hopefully that will give you your spiritual edge back. I I think that that story is going to be helpful for some of you. Today, I want to show you a ridiculous commitment of faith from the time of the prophet and the life of the prophet Elisha. Verse 19, the second part, he, Elisha, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. 
And what you notice is that Elisha was doing the same job that he had done for a long, long time. He was working on his parents' farm. He's working with his parents' oxen. Now, I just want us to put on our, our, what my, one of my Bible college professors taught me to put on my sanctified imaginator, okay? You got to put on your sanctified imaginator and you kind of, kind of go back and, and imagine, I want us to think about what it would be like to stand behind a team of oxen every single day of our life. That's the view you have. That's what you get every day. First of all, you would, you would smell certain things. It wouldn't be good. You would smell something sick, and I don't mean that in a good way. You would smell oxen residue. So to help you with your sanctified imaginator to imagine what it is that Elisha has seen every day of his life, I have provided a picture for you. Imagine that you wake up every day and you get to look at that, okay? Just... um, not good. There's really nothing good. Oxen rears all day long, just oxen behinds. I submit to you that that would not be cool for this to be your scenery every single day of your life. I don't think you'd enjoy that very much. I know I wouldn't. Now, some of you may feel a little bit like Elisha already. You're not looking at oxen rears, but you are doing the same thing day in and day out, and it gets really, really monotonous. And you're just tired of it. And it's just the same old boring stuff. And you think to yourself, man, I, I can do more than this. You're going to the same job with the same people. And you would say, I feel like I'm staring at oxen rears. And I would just highly, highly recommend to you that you not go in and say anything about oxen rears in the same sentence with your boss, okay? Just, uh, we're a full service church. I'm just trying to help you stay employed, Okay. That, that's not what I'm saying, but, but it, you go to work and you do the same thing over and over again. You say, Brett, you know, they could train a monkey to come in and do what I do. It's not really that hard. It's monotonous. It's boring. Some of you are students and, all, and you think to yourself, you know, man, all I do is study and I go to work a little bit and I pay the bills that I've got, my student loans. That's, it seems like that's all I do. I study and I work and I pay bills. I study and I work and I pay bills. And, and, and Brad, it's just oxen rears everywhere I look. Parents, what do you look at all day long? Diapers, dishes, and laundry, right? It's just this never-ending diapers, dishes, and laundry. And moms, most of you are, you're working in the house, but you're, most of you are working outside the house, and you got all that going on, and then you come home, and it's just diapers, dishes, and laundry. And it's like, when is this ever going to end? And it's incredibly easy to lose your passion when all you see is oxen rears all day long. That's where Elisha is. But I want you to notice that he's being faithful to the task at hand. I really believe that God wants to reward the people who are faithful in the little things. Because when you're faithful with a little, God can do so much with you and can give you so many things that you can do an awful lot with. And Elisha, even though he may not have been, you know, doing his most favorite thing, even though he could have been in something that's incredibly draining and emotionally and physically exhausting, he was faithful. In the middle of his faithful daily routine, God sent something new to take him from where he was to a place where he was going to have 
a ridiculous impact on an awful lot of people. So I take you to the end of verse 19 where it says this, Elijah, this great man of God that Elisha has looked up to, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. You say, well, Brett, what's going on with that? What's that mean? His cloak would have been a coat made of either animal skin or fur of some kind, and this was his covering. This This was his coat, and what Elijah did was he took this covering and he placed it around Elisha, basically symbolically saying, that which has covered me is now going to cover you. The mantle that's been on me is going to be on you. The, 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 that which I've been under, you're now going to be under. You will be my student and I will be your teacher. And God has been working through me and now God is going to work through you. That's really what's going on as Elijah puts this coat on Elisha. And he puts this mantle, this covering, on Elisha. Now I want you to apply this story to your life and and so I want to show you two principles of ridiculous commitment and faith this morning. I, I want you to watch how this ordinary man responds to an extraordinary call on his life. Principle number one, God is going to call him to follow Elijah and he's not going to give him all of the details. Principle number one is this, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand it all to be able to obey it immediately. So Elijah puts the cloak around him, and then in verse 20 we read this, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I'll come with you. Notice, he didn't have to pray about it. I know that sounds weird for a pastor to tell you there's something you don't need to pray about. You don't see him pray about it. He didn't have to go through a list of the do's and the don'ts or the pros and the cons, you know, like this is the good reasons and this is, it was none of that. He didn't consult with a counselor. He said basically, God, I know you're in on this. I don't know the details, but since you believe, since I believe you're in on this, I'm going to get in on this. I will obey immediately. That's what he says. You do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. We need to have ourselves in a posture of spiritual readiness. You can't always plan for what God might do, but if you're ready, you can obey immediately, even if you don't understand fully. And I would just say that's probably what had happened when you were able to help Gary with outfitting his apartment. I mean, you, you would not have been able to provide the things that you provided had you not said a little something back or made plans in some way. I would tell you that, that every day of your life, you should be creating margin in your calendar and margin in your checkbook. And I'll preach on this before too long, where, where you've got some time and you've got some money so that if, something, if God gives an opportunity to you and you go, I mean, there probably were some of you that thought, man, I would love to help Gary, but I'm just, I just don't have the money to do that right now. It's about planning, and it's about being ready, and sometimes we just haven't done the right planning to be ready to obey immediately. So one of the things I want us to think about today is just preparing to be ready to obey when we see the opportunity. You do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. When God calls you to do something, you can just kind of spring into action. Now, I think God is often strategically vague in the details, I think, you know, we, we get frustrated. I've had you come to me 
to talk to me and you'll say, Brett, I, you know, I, I can sense God's moving. I can sense God's doing something in my life. I get a real sense this is kind of what I'm supposed to do, but there just are not very many details and I don't know what to do. And it's frustrating me because some of you guys want it planned out, you know, beginning to end. Now, I'm not one of those people. If you know me, you know I don't really, I, I just kind of take it a day at a time. But um, I work with someone who really wants all the details. And I, you, you couldn't see it in the video, but there's only one person that could have put the silverware in the silverware container for for Gary to for it to you didn't you didn't I don't think you saw it in the video but if you could have seen it I think Tracy took a, a tape measure and measured they were perfectly placed in there the man amazes me with his attention to detail now if you're like Tracy that bothers you when God doesn't give you all the details um but God's often strategically vague and not giving you everything I think sometimes we're like Kevin Bacon and, you know, that scene in A Few Good Men where Kevin Bacon looks at Jack Nicholson's character and he, he says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson looks back and says, you can't handle the truth. I think God would say that to us. You know, we kind of shake our fist at God like, tell me. And God's like, you can't handle it. If I told you everything, you'd check out. You wouldn't do it. Kind of like syllabus day. When I was in college, I hated syllabus day. Go around to all those classes, and they'd, they'd each hand you a syllabus, and you'd look through the syllabus, and these are the papers that have got to be written. These are the books that have got to be read. These are the assignments. This is when homework's going to be due. We're going to travel on a field trip here, and you've got to write a report there. And You know, I'd have that for six, seven, eight classes after a couple of days, and I was like, man, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Sometimes God will guide us with just one word. And if, if that's all he ever gives you, and you know it's God, then that needs to be enough for you. That needs to be all that you need to hear is the one word from God. You know, you, you look at the life of Moses, and you see when God gives him directions, and, and God would summarize those directions really with one word, go, I want you to go. I'm not going to show you all of it, I'm not going to tell you all of it, I just want you to go. Abraham, go. Pack up and go. But God, what about, no, not, not telling you all of it. I'll, I'll give you what you need as you need it. In the New Testament, Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter is out is in this boat, and he sees this, and you know, he looks out, hey, that's, that's ridiculous, man. You're walking on water. That's awesome. Call me to do that. And Jesus gives him one word, come. You don't know the details. You just... Peter didn't know how to walk on water. He just hit the water. Some of you may just hear one word from God and, and have no idea. I, I don't have any idea what that one word might be, but he might say something to you that you would definitely understand. Some of you might be in the middle of something and you don't understand what God's up to and, and all you hear is just trust. Just trust. And we want to know how and when and who's going to be involved and who's going to help. And I don't understand. And God's just saying, trust. Some of you have been hanging around church for a while and you've just kind of been observing. And, and you, you hear Tracy talk about different things. And you think, man, I, want to, I need to get involved in that. That's, I can do that. I need to be involved in that. You just, you know, maybe God gives you one word, commit. 
Throw yourself into it. Don't just watch, get involved. Maybe, maybe you've been praying for your family, and maybe you've been thinking about what your family is going through or what it needs, or, and maybe God gives you one word, adopt or foster. But God, what age and where from and you know, boy or girl, and God, I don't understand. You don't have to understand everything to obey immediately. Th- there may be a girl in here this morning. I might be speaking specifically to one one person right now there may be a girl in here this morning and you are dating a loser jerk punk boyfriend okay and everybody knows it and God may have given you one word and when he does you need to obey and that one word is break up with the jerk now that's five words, but sometimes God has to communicate to us with five, right? Because one just uh, we just don't get one. Because you you settled for a fixer-upper, and God can't give you what He wants to give you. So you do that simple thing He's telling you to do to prepare for what it is that God wants to do in your life. God can give you something better, but if you're going to settle for lame, He can't help you. You don't have to understand everything to be willing to obey immediately. About 10 years ago, give or take a year, I can't remember exactly when, um, a church that I was very familiar with, I had done some work with them, some ministry work, I'd spoken for them, and they called and asked me to consider coming to be their pastor. I had been preaching here four, five, six years. We were building things, things were going pretty good. Things were changing. I was trying to position us to grow. And it was hard. Things were hard. I had dreams of what this place could become. I had ideas about, I just dreamed about a church that really reached people for Christ. I had dreams about a church that didn't gossip and a church that didn't put people down and a church that accepted each other and lost people, a church that didn't fight, and a church that, that supported its pastors and its staff and its elders and, and elders that loved people. I had, and, and we had a lot of that stuff going on already, but I could just see it. And everything that we've become, I, that's what my dreams were. And then this other church called, and it was bigger money, it was, you know, profile was going to be higher, um, more people more responsibility they were getting ready to launch this massive huge building project as soon as i i was told the minute you get here you're going to hit the ground running you're going to raise money for this huge building and truth be told it was way over my head truth be told now i realize the things that i just told you that were enticing to me are worldly things physical things i i recognize that but i'm just like you and once in a while i get I get distracted by what's shiny as well, right? But there were spiritual reasons too, and and as I was trying to think those through, this was an effective church that was calling me. They had great ministry in their community. They had some really uh, fantastic resources, both people resources and just their facilities and um, a lot of things that could be leveraged for evangelism, which was at the heart of really what I wanted us to be about and so I, I prayed about it. I tried to get to a place where I could go. You know, you know those prayers you pl- pray where you're trying to hear from God, but you're also trying to condition God's response, right? Kind of what we did with our parents when we were younger. 
So I prayed about it. I had friends telling me that I should take the job. I had family telling me, you know, maybe Brett, maybe you should take that job. And I even told God, I, you know, just praying, praying, God, I'm going to take this offer. And all I heard back was, stay. Stay. Yeah, God, but no. Stay. And like three different times, you know, on three different days, I was trying to put some time in between and really let it ferment and, and let it breathe a little bit. And, and God, I, I really think I'm going to take this. And God's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to stay. But God, I think that, no, you're going to stay. And within a year, maybe even six months, it might have even been six months, it was, it was remarkable to me how quickly this place turned. I told them no. Very glad that I told them no, by the way. And six months later, everything that I had dreamed of for this church, those things started to come true. And we've just seen them grow and get better and bigger and ever since. And, and I'm so thankful that I... Now, here's what I don't want you to hear and what I just said. That didn't happen because I stayed. I'm thankful I stayed so I could see it happen. You understand the difference? I'm not taking credit for it. I got to stay and watch it happen because God was going to do it. But I'm so thankful that I stayed. I'm thankful that I was able to, to, through all of the other stuff going on in my life, to hear the one voice that I needed to hear in the moment and I only really heard the one word, you're going to stay. God is going to call you to stay something at some point, and it's going to sound ridiculous, and you don't have to know all the details. God did not tell me all the details about what was going to happen here. He just gave me the the points where I was to be faithful. These are the things that I want you to be about. These are the things I want you to do. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. That's principle one. Principle two, those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. Those God uses the most are those who are willing to hold on to the least. Look at verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen. These are the animals by which he earned a livelihood. And what does it say he did with them? He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. And then look what he did with the plows. He burned the the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. He made... A bonfire out of the plowing equipment and cooked steaks is what he did. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now that is ridiculous. It's ridiculous through and through. God's calling me to follow this prophet, to become just like him, maybe even become a greater prophet than he is. So what do I do? I'm going to kill the cows and I'm going to burn the plows. That's what I'm going to do. ridiculous you can see killing cows because that happens all through the old testament you know there's sacrifices taking place i mean it's not uncommon to see uh see a, a cow slaughtered for one reason or another but then he goes on and he burns the plows it's almost as if he's saying i'm gonna burn plan b there is no plan b there's only obey god which is plan a now can i just be honest i'm a dad And if my kids came to me, they came home and they had a plan like that, Dad, I'm burning plan B. I'm not sure I would 
handle that real well, right? I think you probably hear me say something like, look, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of, of how bold you're being. I'm proud of how convicted you are about this, but let's not burn plan B. In fact, if you came to see me for counseling or just for us to sit down and talk a little bit and you laid it out and you said, and, and, and you know, told me the whole thing and then you said, and I'm going to burn plan B, you, you're likely to hear me say, whoa, 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 whoa. I appreciate your zeal and I appreciate you're in a hurry to get this thing done, but let's keep the cows and let's keep the plows. Let's don't, let's don't uh, kill things and burn things. That's, let's don't do that. But there are times in the Bible when you see people who are so moved by God that they do ridiculous things to follow him. When Jesus encountered Peter for the first time in Luke 5, Peter's having a bad fishing day. It is not going well. Jesus said, hey, throw your net out on the other side of the boat. And Peter, you know, Jesus, you're, you're, you're not a fisherman. You're, you're a preacher, okay? You, you're a carpenter. You don't know about fishing. We've done this. It's not working. And Jesus said, would you just, you know, Jesus was the first Nike commercial. Would you just do it? Just do it. So Peter did it and he caught so many fish that the nets start to break and it freaked Peter out and he believed. And then Jesus said, hey, from now on, you're not going to catch fish. You're going to catch people for the rest of your life. I want you going out. I want you to catch people. And the Bible says that something just as crazy as, you know, he killed the cows and he burned the plows. The, the, the Bible says that at the point that Peter understood what was going on with Jesus, that he left everything. Now, we get in a hurry. We read that in the Bible, and it's like, we, yeah, he left everything. No, he left everything. That's burning plan B. Now, I want you to contextualize that for your life. Leave my job, Brett? I, I trained for this job. I went to college for this. I can't. Leave my comfort, leave my neighborhood, leave my church, leave my family and go do. The Bible says they left everything to follow Jesus. There's somebody in here, maybe several somebody's in here, and God is going to speak to you and he's going to give you a plow burning faith. I, I want to make sure I say this. Don't, don't leave here without making sure you understand this because I don't want to get sued and I don't want you knocking on my door saying it's all your fault because I lost my job. Listen, before you burn plows, you need to make absolutely sure, absolutely sure that God's speaking to you. Don't let it be because of the anchovies you had on your pizza the night before, okay? It, it needs to be one of the, I'm talking about you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to leave where you are and go where he wants you to go. And you know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And Brett, I can burn these plows because I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Because the question I would likely ask you is, okay, if you burn those plows and you go do this thing and it fails, then what? And the answer can't be I'm going to come back and sue you. It can't be that. There are times that you're so convinced that you burn the bridge back. You know, there's no going back. There's, we're going to cross the bridge, we're going to set the bridge on fire, and there is no going back. And, and you're never going to be the same, and you can't go back because God's calling you forward. Some of you, God is going to call you to a, a plow-burning kind of faith where deep within you are willing to do whatever it takes to follow God to the next place. 
every fall we take, uh, we load up our elders and our staff. Um, every August we do this. And we go over to Indianapolis for a couple of nights. And we go to something called the Leadership Summit. It was started by a man named Bill Hybels, who has one of the largest churches in the country. Every uh, year I get, a, I get Outreach Magazine, and every year uh, Outreach Magazine has a section, uh, a, an issue where they show us the top 100 churches in the country by size. And um, every year, without fail, Bill Hybels' Willow Creek Community Church is in the top 10, usually in the top 5. It's a huge place in Chicago. It's just massive. Um, Bill grew up in Michigan with a father, a Dutch father, who started a produce business. And Bill's dad is a hard-working man, and he built this produce business up, built it up, built it up, and it became quite large. And Bill was being groomed to, to take that business over from his dad, and that's what he thought he was going to do with his life. And he got very good in the marketplace. He, he, he was, he, it was a natural uh, Bill's a really smart guy, and he's good at a lot of things. And as he was, he was about college age, and he was learning to assume more and more responsibility inside the family business, and he was taking some college courses, and one of the courses was a Bible course, and the professor um, was a, a man of faith and was teaching on Acts, and he specifically Acts chapter 2, and um, Bill talks about being captivated by what he heard in the classroom that day, and and. Dr. Belazikian was the, the, doc, the, the, pat, the professor talking to him that day, and he challenged the class to consider going to start churches that people would want to attend, that there were an awful lot of churches that had grown stagnant and stale, and the old way of doing things needed to change, and we need some people to go start some Acts 2 kind of churches, and it captured Bill Hybel's imagination. And he tells the story about how, um, you know, he had all these... The, uh, later in his life, he would have a lot of the trappings that would come with success. But at the time of this class, he had um, a little Volkswagen Beetle. And he went out in the rain. He talks about going out in the rain and putting his head on the steering wheel and putting his hands over his head, just praying to God, crying. Like, God, I know you're calling me to do this, but Dad's expecting me to run this business. And, you know, there's some, there's some success going to be involved. And so he's working the business. But at some point, this thing that his professor said burning in his mind and he feels called to go pastor a church meanwhile he's more successful he's starting to get boats and and cars and fast cars and all the things that come with success in the marketplace and then he finally got in the nerve to go up the nerve to go in and tell his dad dad this is not what god's calling me to god's calling me to lead a church his dad loved him very much, but he said, look, if that's the way it's going to be, that's fine, but you turn in the boat keys, you turn in the keys to the convertible, you know, hand me the keys to your office, I'll get somebody else to do that, and you go do what you're going to do, but you're going to do it without these things. And if you know anything about how the Willow Creek Community Church started, it, uh, it started with very humble means. I've heard Bill talk about yelling at his staff because they used too much masking tape on the stage in the theater they were meeting in, right? I mean, you're poor when you've got to watch how much masking tape you use. And they've grown to this huge church. But he had to give it all up first. I heard a story about a guy that um, struggled with pornography. 
and it, it, it was a problem in his life, and he was trying to overcome it, and it just seemed like he couldn't. So he confided in his pastor, and he and his pastor worked together. They put some software on his computer. They, they put as many stop gaps in place as they could. That worked for a while. Uh, things were going okay. Then he got a smartphone, and he realized that those things were available on his smartphone as well, and he's still talking to his pastor about it. You know, what can I do? It's just, this is so hard. It's, and he genuinely wanted to change, but it was hard for him. And, uh, you know, he said, they started brainstorming ideas, and the pastor said, well, maybe it's time to get rid of that smartphone. And he said, but I need my phone. And the pastor said, really? We survived thousands of years without these. I mean, maybe you don't need a smartphone. He'd just gotten a new iPhone. So this guy went up on top of a mountain and literally crushed his iPhone with a rock because he was so passionately pursuing what it was that God was calling him to and symbolically he just he, he broke I mean it's an expensive lesson for himself but he he literally broke his smartphone and now he walks around with a flip phone and he hates his flip phone he can't stand that flip phone but he loves his purity and he loves being able to go to church and he loves being able to uh, you know have his family and he loves he loves everything that comes with the, the purity that comes with not being in in that that predicament anymore I don't know what it is that you need to do and I don't know what it is that God's calling you to but he might be calling you to burn the plow I don't know what it would be in your life but there's something that is keeping you possibly from serving God the way you genuinely really want to serve God you need to burn the plow if it's a sin burn the plow if it's doubt burn the plow if it's a relationship burn the plow You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately, and those that God uses the most are those that hold on to the least. Sometimes to step toward your destiny, you must step away from your security. Let me say that again because that's really good. Sometimes to step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. God's calling you to something new. I don't know what it is, but... You might be looking at oxen rears today, but that's not going to be the case forever. And God may call you to do something really great for the kingdom. You have to have the faith to go, and you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. I would remind you again, sometimes those God uses the most are those who are willing to hold on to the least. 